Good evening or morning, wherever you are. My name is Orville Gibson, and I'm listening to Craig Wessels on A Yank on the Footy, and you should listen to... And welcome to episode number 96 of A Yank on the Footy. I'm Craig Wessels from Sandusky, Ohio, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. I think you're really going to enjoy this uh, episode. This is the second half of my discussion with Orville Gibson, who I consider to be uh, not only my friend, but an Australian hero. And we get into so many different avenues during this discussion but it does always come back to footy so i think you're really going to like that remember you can find out everything about the podcast check out all of the episodes and anything related to the podcast at my website yankonthefooty.com i hope you'll consider checking it out you can leave me a voicemail there that i love to include those in uh future episodes especially the live episodes that i'm doing you can uh, share your views on a on a previous round or on an issue that you think I should uh, address or a question you may have, you can leave a review there. You can get signed up for the mailing list as well. So when a uh, new episode comes out, I'll get it to you as soon as it is released. Also, if you'd uh, like to consider helping out the show, you can check out the Buy Me a Coffee page, which is up on the website. Any of that that comes in from that goes right back into the podcast. I truly appreciate that. You can check out the uh, Redbubble storefront there as well. I've got a couple different patterns that are up there with a couple more that are going to be uh, released here very, very soon. And again, as I'd mentioned, I hope you'll consider signing up for the mailing list. That way I can get the new episodes out to you instantaneously, basically. As soon as they come out, that's the first place that I post them. So I do hope you'll consider checking that out. Now, today's club of the episode is the Morewell Mighty Tigers Football Club. They're part of the football and netball organization there. The Tigers were formed back in 1883 and are from Morwell, of course, which is about 150 kilometers east of Melbourne. They play at the Morwell Recreation Reserve. And their senior boys this weekend defeated Trilagon 67-52, and Isaac Abbas was named best on ground. Looked like he had a fantastic game. The reserves third and fourth dropped their contests. But I do wish the Mighty Tigers the absolute best in both football and netball as they go forward in the remainder of their fixtures. You can find out more about the Tigers at uh, www.morewellfnc.com.au or on their Instagram page. I'll post links to both of those on the show notes. You can check those out. And ladies and gentlemen, I ask that you sit back and relax unless you're driving. And enjoy part two of this fascinating discussion with Orville Gibson. Just a really, really wonderful gentleman. And I think you're going to like where this this discussion goes because there were things that we hadn't discussed prior to sitting down for this conversation that, that I was amazed by. Things that left me, quite frankly, stunned. And I think you're going you're gonna to be stunned as well because there are things that we're going to talk about today that quite frankly, and I say this in all sincerity and in all seriousness, things about his family that could have changed the direction of the 20th century. 
could have changed the history of this planet. I kid you not about that. And hopefully that has piqued your interest a little bit enough and that you're going to want to uh, delve into this a little bit more deeply. And again, I do hope that you'll consider sharing it with your friends and family as well. I am absolutely delighted to be joined again by today's guest. Uh, if you listen to the, uh, the first half of this interview, uh, you're in for a treat. We're going to dive right back in with uh, a number of other great stories with uh, my friend Orville Gibson. And, you know, Orville is, is quite the historian, as we kind of alluded to and dug into a little bit in the last episode. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to have him back on here for this other half of, of our discussion. And we've just spent the last hour and 15 minutes talking about all sorts of different things that, that didn't make it into this episode. And I wish I had started recording and uh, just didn't tell him about it because, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of interesting things that we dug into here. So uh, I, I'm glad to have Orville back with me tonight. So Orville, welcome back to the show. I appreciate you taking time out of your morning and coming back on. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Craig. I'm glad to be here again. It's 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 great. Well, as to talk. you say, we covered an awful lot of we covered a lot of ground before we did uh, yeah. before we got the recording. You know, uh, oil exploration, uh, pet, petrographs, right? Petrographs, petroglyphs, petroglyphs, petroglyphs. petroglyphs. Uh, yep. Indigenous musicians, uh, yep. guitar repair, oil exploration. <laughs> we got you know. Uh, East, you know, we got into Timor, we got into, you know, raft building, we covered a lot of things before we recorded a second of this, uh, this discussion tonight here. So um, as we're jumping yep. back into this discussion here, if you listen to the first episode, if you haven't listened to the first episode, I, I strongly encourage you to stop right here, come back to this one, of course, but go back and listen to the first one before you listen to this one. Uh, you know, as I got to school this morning, and I, I'm, I'm, turning my computer on and I seeing some uh, notifications show up on my phone. And uh, if you heard the story last week that Orville, uh, the last episode where Orville was talking about uh, his time in the military, where he had rescued some people from a rooftop during a flood, he shared with me about a dozen pictures with his, with his son. Now, none of the pictures with him in it, of course, but with his son in the picture uh, showing that area where that house was, where he rescued those individuals back, I think in 1973, if I'm not mistaken, and what it looks 74. like 74 in in yeah. today in 2021, and it, it, you can almost visualize where things were when you uh, when when you go back and listen to that. And I uh, I don't know if I can figure out a way to share those pictures up on my uh, if it's okay with you to do that on my uh, my display. Show well, notes for the right. podcast. If I could figure out how to do that, I would. I would love to go ahead and show those. I may copy them into a Google Doc and then put the link up there so yeah. you can see what you know, so people can see what this looked like. You know, so it was it was great to see what those looked like. And then, of course, I get another message uh, a little bit later on this evening before we're getting uh, started that I've I've been told by a reliable source that a jar of Vegemite is on its way to my house, uh, and I've been. Uh, I've been told that I have to do a live uh, presentation, if you will, of me trying it for the first time because I've not had it before. I've not had Vegemite before. I, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a little bit of a cautious eater. I, I'm not, you know, 
I mean, there's some things that a lot of Americans find typical that I just don't care for. I'm not a fan of mayonnaise. Um, salad dressing. I don't care for salad dressing. I eat my salads with a little bit of uh, a little bit of shredded cheese and some croutons on there, but I don't put dressing on my salads at all. So I'm weird when it comes to that. But then, you know, I'll eat snails and I ate monkey when I was in the Philippines, when I was in the Navy. Uh, so I'm willing definitely to try Vegemite. I have no idea if I will like it. I do like salty things, but we shall see how it goes. Okay, but I will, I will, I will record it. Whether I broadcast it live, I don't know if I'll do that because, you know, I, I might want to have plausible deniability and say, boy, I really loved it, but I, I did a little bit of editing and, and maybe I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to give it a shot. Okay. That's, cause that's, that's the spirit. We're going to give it a Start shot. So uh, on, on toast or could, would crackers work? Uh, toast is better. Okay. Okay. I've heard, I've heard butter and Vegemite together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You put your butter on and then your Vegemite on the top. Okay. And just a small amount to start out with, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Start, start small. I, I, it's probably advisable that I can still see the bread. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You just put a thin scraping on. So I'm. Uh, if you, I, if you, if you come to like it, you'll be slathering it on. You won't be okay. able to see your toast. Okay. So I'm so I I don't want to start out as though I I am uh, I'm working as a uh, as an apprentice bricklayer, and I'm putting I'm putting I'm putting the, the the mortar down to build a wall here. No, okay. no, you don't start out that way. <laughs> okay, I'll take I'll take it slow then. So you know we we we've got a lot of topics to to get into today, and some of them are footy related, some of them are just you know more related to you know to Orville's background, and I just you know this is somebody who is a a very well-rounded footy fan and he's got he's got all kinds of different interests you know one of the things i want and we really haven't talked about this yet and i was i was going to mention this to him you know we did talk a little bit about uh hawthorne and uh north melbourne uh and their game last week and and i think he would be read, be unafraid to readily admit that he's not a hawthorne fan at all no uh, not even slightly okay not even slightly so even though, even though Dipier Domenico was was one of my favourite players of all time, he played for Hawthorne, mm -hmm. so it was sort of love hate. I loved watching him play, but I hated that he was playing for Hawthorne. I would have been really happy if Dipper had been a, a Cats in the Cats. Yeah, uh, we probably would have got to a grand final a lot quicker. Well, yeah, it, it's 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 nice when some of those players are able to turn their stripes ninety degrees. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, like both, you know, Isaac, uh, Isaac Smith and Sean Higgins did this year. It's mm -hmm. nice when they were able to take that 90 day return and start, yep. start wearing a better looking Guernsey. Yes. Yeah. So, For sure. you know, I, we, I think we talked about this, you know, in our discussions online, but, uh, and I, and I've addressed this with a lot of other people, you know, the, the AFL is at, is at 18 clubs right now. And, you yep. know, ta Tasmania is, really clamoring for an actual AFL club and not simply Hawthorne and North Melbourne coming down and playing two or three games a season. Yeah. If, if Tasmania gets a 19th club, you would assume they would almost have to put a 20th club somewhere to try to balance it out. So you don't have a, you don't have bye weeks every single week of the season. So you don't, you don't have a bye yeah. week the last week. So where, where yeah. would you, where would you put the 20th Darwin. club? In Darwin. Darwin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, it's the only population centre in the Northern Territory that's big enough to support it. And uh, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a major game for Indigenous people. Right, right. And uh, most of the Northern Territory are Indigenous people. They get, it, it also, it allows players to come up from the, the central, Af uh, central Australian area around mm -hmm. Alice Springs. And it brings in the Tiwi Islands, which are always also uh, part of the territory. I think they could build a really strong club there very quickly. Do you worry about them playing in the Northern Territories during the time period of March through September because of the, the, the temperature? I worry more about the amount of traveling that the Territorian players would have to do to compete. That's a fair point. It's uh, it's just about as far as Western Australia. Okay. Not quite as far, but almost as far. So they'd have to do a lot of a lot of travelling, and of course they're used to living in the tropics. They're going to they'll find it a big uh, a big change to come down to any of the southern centres and, and play games. Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to find that a lot cooler. I think it'd be. It, it would, as you say, disadvantage the southern clubs when they go north. Even in uh, even in winter up there, there are days when it's thirty degrees. Right, right. Yeah, I, I so, saw that. I saw that at the, the grounds where they played. Uh, I think Richmond, Richmond and Essendon played the Dreamtime game up there last year. That they actually had yeah. on the on the bench, they actually had like a refrigerator room on the yeah. bench for the players to go in and cool off. Yeah, the year before that, I think they played. Uh, they had ice jackets. Okay. They were like a like a a life jacket that you'd wear in a in a in a boat. Uh huh. But they had pockets in it, and they could put ice in it to try and uh, keep the players cool. cool. Yeah. Now, and I, I would I would almost think that you'd have to maybe make some kind of an accommodation for interchanges if you had a club up there you know, 75 might not be enough interchanges if you've got to bring people off and get them cooled off and get them back out there again. I mean, that certainly would be testing people's yeah. endurance. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's the game, isn't it? It's a, it's a game of endurance. Good, Good point. That's, that's true. That's true. So how many you, times, how many times even, even in modern, the, this round, mm -hmm. do we see people sort of, they get through it. They get halfway through that fourth quarter, and they're out of gas. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a game of endurance. So, do do you think that if if a club ends up in Darwin, that maybe and this is something that some other people have brought up and mentioned that uh, that maybe it ends up being a club that is, you know, kind of a Darwin based club, but then maybe they also play you know similar to what Hawthorne and north melbourne do that maybe they go play a game or two each year at uh at alice springs and maybe a game over in in cans to just to try to you know to to yeah. build you know kind of a a, a following in yeah. you know, in the northern part of the country i think that'd be a good idea i think the particularly the cans idea would be would be really good that's it's slightly more moderate mm -hmm. for the southern teams it's it, it's an in-between. Okay. Cairns is, is about, well, on the map, 
uh, Cairns would be near enough to halfway between Brisbane and Darwin. Okay. Except it's on the except it's on the coast. It's fairly moderate. Cairns isn't all that. Isn't it gets hot in summer, but they have a pretty mild winter. Okay. So but yeah, the, the, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of indigenous people there in Cairns and Townsville, which is the big. Uh, it's right, more right. or less the capital of the north. Um, there's there's a lot of indigenous people up there who would follow an indigenous team and would attend the games. The games would be very well attended, I think. Well, and you know, do, do you think that the, the club would be made up its an entirety of the, the entire list would be indigenous players? Because I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I would think that, you know, some of the other stuff that we talked about before we, we started up tonight, I don't know if that would be a, uh, a step back in terms of the, you know, the progress, maybe the progress that's being made, you know, if it was, you know, a club that was exclusively indigenous players. No, I don't think, I don't think that it'd be exclusively indigenous okay. players. Okay. And it might, it might even be a violation of, of some of the race laws here, but they, they would certainly need, uh, of course, you know, racism can work both ways. Um, I don't think they'd. I don't. I don't think they could manage the club, on on that basis. Okay. It would. Okay. Uh, they they would have to have players, uh, on constant rotation. Some of them. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. It's similar to to you know, we we discussed the Gold Coast situation earlier. Uh -huh. Yeah. Where there's a, a lot of transient people on the Gold Coast. And that's why they they can never sort of field the same team from year to year. That's uh, uh, I think it'd be the same in Darwin. I think there's uh, the, the the population wouldn't be so transient, but they'd have a lot of white players rotating through. Okay, is, is what I'm trying to say. Well, do you think that you would it work? And again, I know Darwin is not the biggest city by far. In it's a couple hundred thousand people, if I'm not if I remember correctly. Would it be worthy of you know if for the overall effectiveness of the game and maybe to level the playing field for all the clubs to consider putting up a stadium similar to uh, Marvel up there, you know, you know where you have a, a dome? Uh, it probably would be if they put a if they put a roofed stadium up there, they could also cool it. Right, right. So it was wouldn't right. be such a wouldn't be such a a temperature imposition on players coming from the south. Now, yes, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that in the next few years, you know, that the Tasmania has kind of put their foot down and said, you know, we're, we're pretty much demanding that you get us a club here, our own standalone club. Yeah. And we, we don't, and yeah. I, if I'm not mistaken, they have not negotiated to bring Hawthorne and North Melbourne back after this year i think this was the last year of their contract if i'm not mistaken between oh, i didn't know those that two, i think because I, I think they've said that you know we would we don't want to reneg and i could be wrong about this but i seem to remember reading that they did not want to extend those clubs until they had a commitment from the afl to place a club yeah. in in tasmania yeah. you know so and maybe if that happens if they say okay 2026 
they're going to put a club in Tasmania. Maybe that maybe then they extend yeah. those other two clubs for a few more years, or maybe extend they the other two, or maybe they yeah. tell one of them, "You call heads or tails because you're the one that's going to Tasmania," and you you flip a coin yeah. and see who's see who's going to be the club yeah. that you know relocates there. You know, because I you know from everything that I've seen, you know, Hawthorne has a pretty strong membership base. But, yes, but North North has a difficult time with you know growing their membership base and, yeah. and maybe and again and i'm not wishing this on anybody if you're a north melbourne supporter trust me i am not trying to yank your team out from underneath you and send them south but if they were there maybe that would help to to grow the base of the club stronger in tasmania and then maybe you see an inverse then where maybe north melbourne comes back up and plays two or three home games in melbourne you in know the melbourne, Tas- yeah. maybe the tasmania squad you know the, i you know i are you familiar with the tv show the simpsons uh, i've watched it a bit yes okay i haven't watched it recently okay well i i haven't i <laughs> I haven't either, but I I thought that you know I know that they're really they're really adamant about having a club called the Tasmanian Devils, but I I think right. they could I think they could have had a, a a club called the Hobart Simpsons, like for Bart Simpson, right? And they could have. Right. <laughs> I thought that would have been a good name for it, but uh, that hasn't gone over very well with some people. And I actually I, somebody shared a uh, a song with me that they'd written. You know, that it, basically it's a song that's you know, it's time for Tasmania Day. It's a time for a club in Tasmania or something like that. It's on YouTube. It's kind of a catchy little tune. Um, yeah. But, you know, I want to dig into some of the other things that we've talked about in the past. And, you know, the, the, the ANSAC round was a, a few weeks ago. And yeah, you, you shared a story with me. And, and I just and this is something that that I know that the American listeners have no idea about uh, or very little idea about, especially this individual, this gentleman that you were talking about. And maybe even some of your own countrymen are not familiar with this gentleman uh, and, and what you do during Anzac Day. So can you tell us what it is that, that, that you as an Australian citizen celebrating or remembering Anzac Day, what is it that you do? Because it, it's, it's extraordinarily unique. Um, every year for the last, I can't remember how many years now, uh, I discovered a long time ago from a, a documentary on the on the our national broadcaster, the ABC. I heard about uh, Private Billy Singh. Uh, he was half Chinese, so he wasn't really eligible to uh, to be enlisted in our army uh, because of our racist laws at the time. And uh, Billy Singh enlisted in the. Uh, in the Australian Army and was among the first to go to Gallipoli. And uh, he was, he took it into his own head to become a sniper. And during his eight months in Gallipoli, he accounted for somewhere between, no one actually kept score, but it's somewhere between 150 and 200 uh, Turkish soldiers uh, that he shot. And uh, I, I heard this on the ABC and I, I decided to sort of do a bit more research into Billy Singh and his life. And uh, he, he came from Northern Queensland, a place called Claremont. He'd been a kangaroo shooter 
before he enlisted and uh, dabbled in gold mining because it's a gold mining area up there as well. But mostly he was a kangaroo shooter. Can I stop, and you, after there, can enlisted, I stop you there for really quick for a second? Yeah. Yep. A, can, a kangaroo shooter, are they... Are they doing that to harvest the animals for their meat, or are they doing that because they're they're considered nuisance animals at that point in time? Or they uh, they can become a nuisance. Okay, it'd be the best way to put it. Uh, during good seasons, they breed extraordinarily well. If it's a drought, they won't breed at all. Okay, uh, but when they when they breed up, they can be a nightmare for a farmer. Okay. Uh, they'll they'll eat more. They'll eat more of his grass than his cattle or sheep will. It's kind of like it's uh, kind of like the feral. They can become that. It's like the feral hogs. Here. Yeah, they're like a. They're, yeah, they're like a six foot rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw that movie. That, I think that's the movie Harvey, isn't it? <laughs> so I. I so you said he was a kangaroo hunter, and I just, I just was wanting to clarify that because I, di I didn't know if they were hunting them because I have had kangaroo before as well. I've had a kangaroo burger before, so okay. I, so I didn't know if this right. was simply because they were they were harvesting the animals for that purpose or not. No, no, no. It's not simply for the. Uh, that's the ultimate. That's where they end up. Okay. The culled animals end up as as processed meat, mm -hmm. but they're not specifically shot as a processed meat they okay. use the kangaroo shooters travel around and they they if there's an excess of kangaroos in one area they'll go there and they won't wipe them out but they'll thin them out mm -hmm. and the the carcasses go to, the carcasses go to processing but uh yeah billy singh was a uh, was a roo shooter so he's a damn good shot if you imagine trying to trying to shoot something that's bouncing along <laughs> good point good point it's a bit hard it's it's a bit hard to hit but uh, he went to he went to Gallipoli. He uh, he was with the Queensland Light Horse. Uh, it's a cavalry regiment that didn't have any horses, <laughs> and uh, they were very he, very light horses. He, uh, he, they're very light horses. <laughs> In fact, you could you could carry you could carry your own horse into battle. <laughs> yeah. Actually, they did have horses, but they, all their horses were in Egypt. They, okay. they trained in Egypt before they went to Gallipoli. Okay. And they left their horses behind because uh, the terrain at Gallipoli is, is not cavalry territory. Okay. They, you run from the beach. I've been to Gallipoli and uh, there's the beach and then there's a cliff face. Okay. So... It's, it's very steep terrain. They're not vertical cliffs, but mm -hmm. they're extremely difficult to climb. And uh, anyway, Billy Singh accounted for something between 150 and 200. The number varies depending on who you're talking to. Uh, but he, he accounted for a lot of uh, a lot of Turkish soldiers. And um, the Turks became that tired of the, of Billy Singh's marksmanship that they brought in their own sniper called Abdul the Terrible. And uh, he was the he was the best shot in the in the Turkish army. And he followed he followed where Singh was hunting or doing his shooting and worked out exactly where Singh had to have been shooting from, just from the angles of fire. 
and uh, they had a duel virtually and uh, Singh managed to shoot Abdul through his eye. Wow. A fraction of a second before before Abdul could get his shot away. And uh, anyway, the upshot was that, that Billy went on from Gallipoli uh, to the Western Front, where he continued his, his sniping against the Germans and eventually returned to Australia. And uh, because he was half Chinese, it was very hard for him to get a job. And uh, he... He sort of drifted, got into a downward drift. He wasn't a drinker, but he, he fell into a, a sort of a downward spiral in his life. And he was uh, he was found dead one morning in, oh, I think it was 1940. Uh, he was found dead and he, he lived in a boarding house in South Brisbane and he was found dead in his bed and the, the police came and investigated. And they found he had six pounds, which is about twelve dollars, mm -hmm. and his war medals, and virtually nothing else. And six dollars was uh, six pounds wasn't enough to to bury him. And he was given a pauper's funeral, and he was he was laid to rest in a in an unmarked grave in the Tawong Cemetery in Western Brisbane. And uh, some years later, isn't it? It was just after. The the ABC had discovered him and had his documentary on television. People went looking for his grave, and they found out where he was, uh, where he'd been laid to rest, and they had the uh, they had the body exhumed, and he was he was uh, taken and buried with full military honours at the uh, at the Anzac Cemetery at Lutwich. And uh, after I found this out. I actually went and looked for the boarding house where he used to live because a plaque had been laid into the into the footpath outside the boarding house. Oh, saying that's cool. That this that's was, cool. Uh, unfortunately, that had been asphalted over. A, a, a tar footpath had gone through, and they just—I don't know whether the plaque was removed or whether it was just asphalted over, but it was gone. Uh, so was the boarding house actually. There was a, a commercial building on the site. Yeah. And uh, I thought, uh, there's got to be more to this. So I went out to the Lutwich Cemetery and hunted around for his grave. And I, I was looking in the wrong place. At <laughs> his, gra his grave marker is a large white marble obelisk mm -hmm. that you can actually see on Google Earth. It's visible from space. Wow. And uh, uh, there's... Uh, there's black marble inlay with gold on the on the obelisk that explains who it is that's buried there and why, and explains that this is this is the grave of Billy Singh, and uh, goes on to 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 list his exploits and and so forth. And I thought I'm not going to go to the Anzac ceremonies anymore because the grave was looking a little bit dilapidated. Uh -huh. it, there is a committee that's supposed to look after it, and they don't do their job. And there's an Australia, there's a flagpole there. So uh, I thought on Anzac Day, I'm going to go over to Billy Singh's grave, and I'm going to hoist a hoist a, an Australian flag above his grave. I'm going to spend the night there. 
So every every Anzac Day now, uh, I turn up at the Lutwich Cemetery about 11 o'clock at night, and uh, I spend the night there uh, beside the grave. And then in the morning, just before dawn, I run the Australian flag halfway up the pole. Wow. And uh, I stay there until about eight o'clock in the morning, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. And then I hoist, I hoist the, the flag to the top of the mast and uh, I leave the flag there. It's always gone the somebody, next year. So somebody takes um, it then? Wow. Or, or, uh, or it gets it worn I'd out? Say, I'd say that, yeah, it's probably worn out or the, the cemetery keepers come and take it down. But uh, I, I put a new flag up every year. So that's my Anzac Day now. So uh, I go over there and I, I, I pay my respects to Billy Singh. And that, that is that is so laudable. It's, it is just, and you know, you are a military veteran. I'm a military veteran. Uh, you know, I have, you know, I have a child who's in the military right now. Uh, it's, uh, that's one of the things that I, I think that we could still, you know, in, in many countries, we could still do a much better job of, of, of rendering, you know, the, the respect that's due to to some you know to people who have served in the military and and so in some cases they don't necessarily want it they don't they don't want the recognition you know the idea is that they were just doing their job i seem to remember no. somebody saying that not that long ago like maybe the last time i spoke to you about rescuing those people off of that house you were just doing your job well you you it, in my opinion you went above and beyond you know because <coughs> I don't think the rest of your unit was out there doing what you were doing. No, there was only two of us. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. the other guy couldn't swim. <laughs> so, but he, but he could drive well. He could. Yeah. Yeah. He was the best winch driver in the unit. He, he was, he was accustomed to driving on the left side of the road. Unlike myself, as we talked about earlier, uh, in the, the few, uh, the few instances that I had a chance to do that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm looking at the, uh, the picture of the, uh, the obelisk and the flagpole and it you know if, if this gentleman is considered to be a national hero and they have put a flagpole next to his grave his memorial site there yeah why the hell isn't there a flag there all the time anyway i've got no idea because it is actually the anzac cemetery yeah you'd think that there'd be a, you'd think that there'd be a flagpole there all the time for all of the men that are there there's hundreds there. There's hundreds of men buried there. Right. That doesn't make a bit of sense to me. But of course, you know, again, this is this is something that the government's involved in. And I've been a government teacher now for 27 years. And I learn more and more every day that I just I I don't always understand what the government does because the government doesn't always know what they're doing, and whether that be here in the United States or in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's uh yeah, I I I I I kind of take a cynical approach to things that the government does and say, okay, guys, you know, they, they're trying to get reelected. That's what's going on here. Okay. That's what's happening at that's this moment it. in time. That's, that's what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah. They're trying to keep their job. And, uh, and I tell, and I tell my students, I said, you know, guys, I said, I would vote for darn near every single one of you over just about everybody that we have in Congress right now. I said, right. we, we, we might be better off you know, picking a, you know, picking a phone book at random from every congressional district in the country and just picking a name at random out of the phone book and saying, okay, you're the new representative there for that district or for that, you're the new senator from that state. And yeah, 
and maybe they would do maybe they would be somebody who would do a decent job for us i don't yeah. know i don't I know i think it's political parties craig i think that's i think that's the fault in the in the system I, I, it's, I, it's dominated by by the parties yeah. the left yeah. or the right and it's yeah, the I, same yeah, everywhere it's the same in america it's the same in england it's the same in it's in every, in every democracy you've got mm -hmm. a left and a right and minor parties get to get to fight over the bones in the middle and sometimes get themselves an extra voice right but right. it's basically those those two monolithic parties the left and the right and i think that's the the great failing of the system yeah i know you know my uh my students just recently watched it was a series that was done about a dozen years ago on on john adams who became the second president of the united states uh who was one of the chief negotiators uh in getting the declaration of independence written getting the constitution written and passed that type of thing and you know yep. they they portray george washington as somebody who is adamantly opposed to political parties but you know it's oh, okay it it is a they they are almost an inevitability they they that was a natural progression in, in any kind of a democratic state where you know if you have if you have people who have similar ideas they're naturally going to congregate with one another and try to get you know yeah. more people that have similar ideas to be able to put those ideas into practice yeah so i mean yeah so you know they're they're in a way they're they're necessary evil maybe isn't the right term but maybe uh, an evil necessity yeah might be you know, if you just flip it around a little bit maybe that's the way that's the way we should describe it but you know you are you are somebody who is you know a a a history buff i think i could safely say okay yeah. you're, you're a big history fan you're you're a you're you're you seem to really be enthralled by or interested in the united states civil war uh and that's I, right yes yeah, so where did that where did that interest come about is was it simply because you know here here's the united states you know shipping all of their television products all over the world for people to watch or how did how did, how did that work basically that's about it oh um, well it's been good about... talking to you I'll, I'll talk to you later then <laughs> 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 no, 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 it came about Australia had the Olympics in 1956. We had mm -hmm. no television before the Olympics. And a part of the deal with the Olympic Committee was we had to have television. So Australia made a big rush to get television out by 1956, but there was no local product. There were no Australian production companies, there were no movie houses here. Uh, everything that, that we watched on television either came from England or America. Okay. And I remember there was there was only a few shows, like we had Hopalong Cassidy and Zorro and uh, the, the half hour you yeah. know, cowboy and Indian shows. Gunsmoke. Uh, Cisco Kid. Yes. Gunsmoke. Yeah. The, Rif the Rifleman. I love the Rifleman. They're all in fact, of those. But in, fact, in fact, real quickly... The, the actor that played the rifleman's yep. son just passed away about two weeks ago. Johnny Crawford. Oh, he really? Just, he just died. He was like 75 or 78. He just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Oh, right. 
anyway, the the, the um, there were very few of those shows that went for an hour. Uh huh. Uh, one that uh, one that uh, that did. I used to go to the Cub Scouts, and when I came home from the Cub Scouts uh, on Tuesday nights, there was one show on TV uh, that I was allowed to watch uh, until because I was all sort of hyped up and excited after after going to the Cubs, and. Um, it took me a little while to calm down before I could go to bed. Mm-hmm. So I used to watch a show called The Blue and the Grey. Okay. It was uh, it was based around the American Civil War. I think there was only one season where it used that name and it later changed its name to The Americans. And it, it went for maybe three seasons and uh, it, it dealt with... Not, it dealt with the actual conflict of the Civil War. It wasn't right, right. like Gone with the Wind. Right. There was no romance. Yeah. There was no romance lines <clears throat> at all that I can remember. It dealt exclusively with the conflict of the Civil War. Okay. And that's where I came to hear words like, uh, th- uh, hear about things like Fort Sumter mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Chancellorville, all the, all the Civil War battles. Yeah. It dealt with in a historical way with the lead up to the battles, the battles themselves and the aftermath. And that was where I developed my first interest in the civil war. Okay. And when I went in, when I went into the army, I met an American officer that was out here on, on exchange. Uh, this was, he, the Vietnam war was still going for America, but I, I joined May of 1972, and it was the, we were already withdrawing. All Australian mm-hmm. troops were out of Vietnam by October okay. of 1972, but it went on for another another three or so years for the right, Americans. Right. And one of my first postings was uh, at the Jungle Warfare Centre in uh, at Canungra, which has got a pretty <laughs> pretty dreadful reputation. Uh, for for breaking people, but uh, we had an American officer that came there, and I happened to be driving for him one day. I was a driver, and uh, I was driving him somewhere one day, and I just started talking about uh, the Civil War and mm-hmm. that t- particular television series. And the man must have been a, an enormous history buff himself. Okay, and not not just on that occasion, but on several other occasions. Uh, he came and sought me out uh, from he'd come to the barracks and say oh you know you want to go and have a have a drink and we'll have a bit of a talk about the civil war that's very cool and uh, it was um, he must have come from a, a civil uh, a, a civil war family himself he was from Mississippi and uh, pretty safe bet which he more or less introduced <laughs> 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 And uh, anyway, he, he was he was the one that put me in the mind, and he I actually remember him saying saying this to me. He said, "You cannot understand modern America if you don't understand the Civil War." And uh, that propelled me along that, the, the way to, to 
it would propel me along the way to to trying to deepen my knowledge of the Civil War, right, simply right. so that I could understand understand modern America, mm-hmm. and uh, that was where that was where my my interest in the Civil War came from, and it was it was quite a few years later I discovered that the leader of the Australian opposition at the time, Kim Beasley, was also a Civil War buff. He was such a Civil War buff, he could name the general's horses. Wow, wow. <laughs> and he's a politician. <laughs> but he was also one of our most popular politicians. He was, okay. uh, and uh, he had actually worked as a missionary in India, I found out when I, when I read his biography. I discovered that Kim Beasley had been a missionary. His father was uh, was also, uh, I think he was the Minister for Education under Gough Whitlam. Okay. And uh, Kim Beasley was like the next generation of, of Labor politician. And uh, he was an enormously intelligent man. And he had this, this amazing interest in the Civil War. And I thought, well, I've got to deepen my knowledge a bit further here. So... It just became almost a hobby to 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 read not just the the um, uh, not just a, about the battles and so forth, but mm-hmm. getting further further into it into the into the politics of the situation. And I was uh, I was just trying to deepen my knowledge of yeah. what is virtually yeah. our biggest ally. Uh, <clears throat> and I, and Americans I, and Australians have been on the same same battlefields virtually since World War One. Yeah, and it's uh, and let we, and, we went to, and let's hope we don't let's hope we don't have to do it again. I hope we don't. Yes, I let's hope we I don't hope have we to don't, again. We don't ever have to. Yeah. No. But uh, I. I uh, I think that might be a vain hope. I think I think a militant China is going to upset the apple cart there. I, yeah, but yeah, I'd I, hope that we never have to go into another battle. Yeah, I'm. I, I unfortunately I. I I'm I worry about that. I I worry about uh, Russia. I worry about Iran. Uh, I guess I worry about a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. But there's I, so many conflict points in the world at the moment that could just get out of control. Yeah, yeah. It would yeah. be it would be Iran. It could become uh, that's that's a terrible flashpoint. I think it's mm-hmm. one of the most dangerous flashpoints in the right. world. Right. Um, right. But, but a belligerent a belligerent China in the South China Sea, uh, their actions in uh, in overtaking some of the coral atolls. Right in the South China Sea, they're actually the property of the Philippines. Uh, well, and, as you and, say, Russia. Yeah, and the stuff going on in, in uh, the in the spring, Russia, yeah, in in the Ukraine. Yeah, the stuff going on in the Spratly Islands that you were talking There's about there. Of, you know, that has yeah. actually that has actually, from what I have been able to gather, it's kind of begun to push. You know, countries that that maybe had maybe been slightly aligned with China, that are realizing, you know, okay, you know what, you know, like Vietnam has has started to, you know, the relationship between the United yeah. States and Vietnam has begun to change. 
um, you know, the Philippines. I mean, there's there's talk about there's talk about you know, reopening the uh, the Subic Bay Naval Base, and I've heard rumblings that that could very yeah. possibly become a joint American and Australian naval base. Could well do. Yeah, and you know, there's there's been talk about Could um, very well do. And I think you and I talked about this at another time, just in 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 a discussion that uh, you know that 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 there's there's talk about actually you know reconstituting. Um, I'm not sure which one it is, but like the 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 U.S. Navy's uh, first fleet, and you know, basically right. building a new port up in northern Queensland. Yes, yes, you know, there, and there's talk of another one in uh, on one of the islands off the coast of New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because China has a more forward. Yeah, because China forward yeah. shield against Chinese incursion. Yeah, so, I don't know why, but the Australian government leased the port of Darwin to China. It's all about. Uh, as as we say here, it's all that's you know. As we say here, it's all about the Benjamins. Um, yeah. Who was who on your? Who's on the one hundred dollar bill in uh, in Australia? I don't know. I haven't. I'm not even sure that I've. We do have a hundred dollar bill. Okay. But I who's, don't think I've ever actually seen one. Who's on the <laughs> who, who's on who's on the fifth? What's the what's the biggest what's the biggest denomination you've seen? Uh, fifty dollar. So who's on that one? And, and I can't actually tell you who's on it. I'm I'm not I'm not okay. that familiar Wait, with. You know who's, what? Wait a minute. The only the only <laughs> you're you're telling you're telling <laughs> me all about the day, you're telling me about the United States Civil War. You're telling me about you know things going on in Gallipoli a hundred years ago, and you can't tell me about the money that's in your wallet right now. <laughs> they keep change they they keep changing the faces. Oh, do they really? I know that the five dollar. Yeah, they have the five dollar note has the queen. Okay, but the the, the rest of them change. Okay, so it's I all think about, Doug Nichols might have been on one. So it's all it's all about the queens then, like we say about all about the Benjamins, like with Benjamin Franklin being on the hundred dollar bill yeah. here. So it's all about the queens. We'll go yeah. with the five dollar bill then. That that's pretty much what my <laughs> that's what my allowance is also. So I'm I'm used to having about five dollars with me when I go somewhere. So. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. The, the the fact that you have this interest in in you know in 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 American conflicts like this is just fascinating, and it's something that I yeah I try to I try to spark this in 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 my kids and you know, my students and get them interested in and and it's you know it's it's a bit of an uphill battle you know because it's. But some kids really do get interested in these things, and and you know, kids kids are kids. They're you know they're they're going to be the products of their technology. Um, you know, whether it be when we were younger, when we we really didn't have a whole lot. You know, I I joke with my students that you know that when we when you know people my age were kids, you know when you know the sun would come up, you'd have breakfast, and your parents would take you to the door and kick you kick you in the seat of your pants and say, "Don't come back until lunch." And uh, yep. and then you came back for lunch, and they turn around and they kick you in the seat of the pants and say, "Don't come back till dark." And that you just yep. were off doing your thing. And now, and nowadays, you know, you know, kids are you know, they're tracked by their phone. You know, the parents know where they are at all times. You know, call me every fifteen minutes. They're, you know, they're and pick, they're picked they're picked up from school. Yeah, I used to walk two miles. Well, I used to walk two miles to my primary school when I was 
seven. Well, I walk two miles to school and two miles home again. But see, see what we did here. We we did we used to do here two miles each way uphill in the snow both ways. It was uphill. Oh, that's right. You get snow. Yeah. Well, oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, we we used to joke about that, saying, "Yo, yeah, we had to walk. You know, we had to walk two miles in the snow uphill both ways every day to school when it wasn't necessarily that bad." But that's that's what we'd always tell the kids. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, you uh, yeah, we're cu- we're coming out of we're coming out of uh, COVID here, and I had I had a few, you know, just kind of questions to help you know, the people who are listening learn a little bit about you because you you you're, you're a fascinating you, you you may you may look in the mirror in the morning when you're brushing your teeth and think that you're pretty boring, you know, and maybe other people maybe your your kids think you're boring, but you're a pretty fascinating guy with all of your varied interests. Okay, and that's and and uh, yes, I wanted to dig into that a little bit and maybe help the listeners learn a little bit about you. Okay, beyond what you know, the Civil War and and, and Anzac Day and that sort of thing. So, if if COVID is is if COVID is willing, what's on your bucket list for this year? What do you want to get done this year? I want to go to the Philippines. Might I I go and have a look at Manila? Okay. Um, I don't think a lot of people realise what a fight that Manila was for, uh, during World War II. Mm-hmm. It was as bad as Stalingrad. The place was was almost completely levelled during World War II. Uh, so I want to I want to go to Manila and uh, just have a look at have a look at the place now. Okay, c- compared to photos that you've seen what it must have been during okay yeah okay yeah so that and uh the other place i want to visit is cuba Uh, yeah i I know you've told me that you you said you sent a package to somebody in cuba that ended up going to france yeah (laughs) it was a cd i i i've fallen in with a a a bunch of of music nuts Uh in cuba and one of the big bands in Cuba during the 1960s, even during the Castro era, was the Beatles. Okay. They, and they were an immensely big band. And uh, they used to have to listen to it in secret. And that's, they, they couldn't be openly... Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> they that's, couldn't be openly seen to be... Yeah. That's before so that's before quality headphones. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Yeah. Yes. They're just little transistor radios. Mm-hmm. But um I got into a Beatles history group. Okay. And accident and accidentally ran across a Cuban in there. And I I mentioned there that I had been to the Beatles concert in Sydney in 1964. I was 10 years old. That uncle I was telling you about before that introduced me to sort of indigenous culture. Uh-huh. Uh, he also took me to see, he took me to see the Beatles. Wow. And uh, I mentioned in, in this Beatles history group on Facebook that I'd been to the concert and a, a message popped up the next day from a chappy in Cuba. And he said, you know, can you tell me more about the concert? And uh, I ended up writing him quite a long, considering the Beatles were only on for 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. 
I wrote him fairly a fairly long description of going to the concert. Uh, we went to the hotel where the Beatles were staying, and they came out on the balcony. And anyway, I told him the whole story of the Beatles concert, and uh, he sent me back the name of a a, a guitarist. Uh, his name's just escaped me for the moment. He only made, uh, he was a, a Jamaican and he did most of his work in Cuba. And he was so unique that his, uh, he is mentioned uh, in the Fender Museum, hmm. the Fender Guitars Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, Conrado, it'll come back to me. Okay. Anyway, uh, he mentioned he mentioned this 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 chap here, uh, Conrado Wilson. Conrado Wilson was his name, and uh, the the chap in Cuba mentioned this this guy. And he said, "Can you find out for me anything?" Apparently, they have some limitations on the internet in Cuba, and uh, he said, "Can you find me out anything about this?" He, he, he had Cuban nationality. He was born in Jamaica and he had Cuban nationality. And uh, no one knows what happened to him. He made one recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, he recorded one album of tunes. And I eventually did track down an LP secondhand on Amazon. And it was uh, $500. His combo and magic, and, uh, magic uh, guitar. That's called? him. Yep, I'm yep. looking. I'm looking at the picture on the other screen right now, <laughs> <laughs> with his big googly eyes. Uh huh. He's uh, yeah. Anyway, I did track down a CD of all places. It was in Japan, and uh, I, I found the CD and I bought a copy of it, and I sent it to this guy in Cuba. He gave me his address, and I sent mm-hmm. it to him, and that that CD just disappeared off the face of the earth. I have no idea where it went. So I bought another one and I posted it and it went, I went to Cuba and then for some reason or other, it left Cuba Hmm. and it went to France and it went to 11, I think it was different destinations in France (laughs) uh, before arriving, (laughs) before arriving back in Paris. And then it went by, because it went by ship. Yeah. In the middle of COVID, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it onto airmail because there were no flights. Right, right. Uh, so it had gone. Although I'd paid for airmail, it went by ship. Um, so it, it's gone on this Contiki tour around France, <laughs> and then it went to Spain. It went to Spain, and then it went to the Canary Islands, and then it eventually showed up in Cuba nine months after it was posted. So he did get it. <laughs> He did get it in the end, yeah. Okay. He had to do a bit of a he had to do a bit of chasing around because okay. it got held up in customs for some reason. There's all sorts of things you can't send to Cuba, and I I, I imagine data CDs that contain data are one of them. You can't post a, a data CD to Cuba. That makes so sense. So probably had to, there was probably some uh, Cuban public servant who had to actually sit down and listen to it make sure there was no data on it that was all just music but yeah, it took nine months for it to get there <laughs> oh well now 
So I, I, anyway, I've become something of a fan of, of Cuban music. Okay. And uh, I've got. I, I just okay. want to. I just want to go there for the music. They just don't seem to stop. Their music just doesn't stop. It's a, it's everywhere. It's in the streets. It's in the cafes. It's just Cuban Cubans move to a rhythm. As, yes, they yes they do. Yes, as, uh, yeah. as I've yes, been told. So, I think I so over the Philippines, go to Manila, and then okay. Cuba, and that that'll be my okay. That's that's, that's, your, that's your bucket list this year. Okay, sounds like a good trip. Yeah. So I think I know the answer to this question already, but I'm going to ask it. Who was the most influential person in your life? My uncle. That's what I, the I, one that took me out. That's what I was thinking. That was going to be the it, answer there. Used, okay. Used to take me bushwalking and looking at, at at indigenous cave paintings and looking for petroglyphs and and Australian wildflowers and wildlife and and drummed it into my head that the indigenous people need to be treated better. Of course, they are these days, but uh, not only treated better, but they're their culture needs to be preserved. It's the oldest culture in the world. It goes back uh, in, in France. Remember a place called Lascaux? Mm -hmm. uh, two, two kids fell through a hole chasing a rabbit and they ended up in, an, in this enormous cave. And when they got some light in there, they found all these cave paintings of, of bison and, and different animals that were around in Europe. And it's been Lascaux Caves. They're now protected. And those cave paintings go back 40,000 years. There are 12 other sites of, of similar cave paintings in Europe. Mm -hmm. We've got thousands of them. Wow. Thousands. And uh, I'm, every, I'm, every, I'm assuming those every are documented. Nation, the ones that, that we've, we've found so far, mm -hmm. they're still finding them. Mm. There are still caves. People go to and, and, and find caves. And there's, there's petroglyphs everywhere. And this, this is, this is a, a, an artistic culture that's probably at least 60,000 years old. So it was, it, was, it was old when those caves were painted in Lascaux. And yeah. uh, that was it. Was that uncle that 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 told me all these things? That took me and showed me these things. Uh, he would be the most influential person in my life, without doubt. Okay, it's yeah, and I and I that made that made sense to me. And I, and I I having talked with you earlier about this, that I thought that was going to be your answer on that, and I and. The people listening hadn't heard that at this point, so I'm glad you 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 filled in some of that gap there. You know, because I I was kind of hanging myself out there saying, "Oh, I know the answer," but nobody else knew the foundation for that there. So, yeah, if you're if you're gonna have a a dinner party, and and I and I like asking what? these questions because you're it it gets uh it gets you thinking a little bit here. You're gonna have a dinner right. party, and you're gonna you're inviting five people from history. Who's coming to your party? Right. I think I know at my least great, one of My great-great-aunt. Okay. Uh, well, my uncle would be there. Okay. My great-great-great-great-aunt, my great, great, great hmm. uh, Lady Violet Gibson. 
She shot the end off Mussolini's nose. No shit. She tried to assassinate. She tried to assassinate Mussolini in May of 1926. She hid out. He was opening a library in Rome, and she concealed herself behind one of the the, the columns at the front of the uh, at the front of the library. And when he came out of the library, she pulled a, a pistol out of her um, out of her handbag, took aim at his head from four feet away, and managed to shoot the end off his nose. This is the first I'm here. This is wow. This is the first I've heard of this. This is uh, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna find some info on that. So may I ask what happened to her? Um, I, the security guard grabbed her and uh, she was taken away and Mussolini himself later came to see her. And there are photos of Mussolini with the plaster over the end of his nose. You can look those up online. Uh, and there's a, there's, a, there's, a photo, there's a photo that exists of Mussolini coming out of the library and her with a hand in a handbag, just about to pull the gun out and shoot him. But she was she wore really thick glasses. Uh-huh. Coke bottle glasses. We call them Coke bottle right, glasses right. here. So at the bottom right, of a Coca-Cola bottle. And uh, they had been bumped off in the crowd. Uh, uh, Mussolini was enormously popular. So there was a big crowd around. And in not, the, in the fight her. to get no, in the fight <laughs> to get closer to him, her glasses had been bumped off, and that was why she only managed to shoot him through the nose. Wow. And uh, not somewhere, wow. <laughs> not somewhere more fatal. So, <laughs> so, did she? I mean, was she imprisoned? Was she executed? What? I mean, what happened? Uh, no, she was. Uh, her title was Lady Violet Gibson. Uh huh. Her father was Lord Althorpe, and he was the. I've got to get this right. He was the keeper of the seal. It's called. It's a hereditary position in Ireland. He was like the governor general of Ireland. Okay. And it's a hereditary position. And it would have passed on to okay. it would have passed on to my aunt's brothers. But um, Mussolini found out that she was an, an English noblewoman. And uh, she was held in it wasn't a prison. I think it was a convent. She was held in a convent on the condition that she didn't try and run away, and she didn't. And then she was shipped back to England. This was 1926. Uh, she was shipped back to England, and she was put in a mental asylum for the rest of her life. Wow. That had her glasses not come off, she, history cha history changes. History changes. There may have been no. There may have well. There, there may have been no Third Reich because Hitler was up he admired. Him. Yeah, yeah, he, he admired Mussolini. Mussolini was was his model for the Third Reich. Holy mackerel! And, uh, I had I had no idea this was going to be taking this turn. It, this, you know, I wow, wow. I, I'm. It's not often that I'm speechless. 
and, and I'm speechless right now. I, I there's it's and and you know what? That's a really bad thing to happen when you're running a podcast. It's sitting here speechless. It's uh so that, okay. Now all I'm gonna say, you've only named two people coming to your party. You've still got three more. I'm assuming Mussolini's gonna come because he's got some good pasta recipes. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think I'd have Mussolini there. <laughs> Um, you, you've hit me with this. Is a this this isn't uh, the easiest of, of questions to answer. Oh. Abe Lincoln. Okay, definitely. I'd, I have, was, I'd have Abe there. I was thinking Robert E. Lee might be one you would bring a, bring along too. Yeah, well, based upon your previous conversation, I'd there. put him. I'd I'd make him and Abe share a seat. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. I wouldn't want. To, yeah, I think they were they they were both enormous men. Yes, yeah. Um, and for completely different reasons. Look, I got to tell you, I don't know how Jefferson Davis didn't get hung for treason. Well, I have a I have a recommendation for a podcast for you when we're all done here, and I'll put a link to it in right. the show notes because I I've actually I've actually mentioned it on. Uh, on, I think on other episodes, but, I, but I've linked to it as well. It's one called 1865. And it basically, right. it, it, it picks up after the assassination of Lincoln. And it's, it's kind of right. a, dra- it's a drama. And it's, it's the clash between Andrew Johnson and Edwin Stanton, the secretary of war. And what, what right. transpired, it's, it's, fa- I think you would absolutely love it. It's, it's fascinating. All right. So I'll, I'm going right. to send you. I'm going to send you a link to that, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes because the gentlemen that, that do this podcast do a phenomenal job with this. So I'll I'll, sh- I'll send you a link right. to that here when we're when we're all done tonight because I think you'll right. like that. Well, um, <coughs> well, you got... okay. That's a good one. So we've got our we've got our five then. We've got yeah, our five. I'd have to have Plato there. Okay. Uh, Plato put forward the uh, the concept of utopia, and he was one of the greatest intellectual thieves of all time, because at the time that Plato was putting forward his vision of utopia, mm-hmm. uh, exactly that system that he proposed with the the three three levels of like the ruling class, the public servant class, and everybody else, that had already been in uh, a part of Indian government in India. Uh, It had been a part of their government system for 2,000 years before Plato came along. Wow. The caste system in India is exactly what... what, uh, what Plato proposed. So he's an intellectual thief, and I'd love to get him hold, get hold of him and challenge him on it, because <laughs> I think all he did, I think all he did was superimpose the Indian caste system into a, an ancient Greek yeah. uh, political argument. I don't. He didn't think it up. I'm absolutely certain of that. I've compared. I've read the uh, the Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. which is the English uh, the Indian holy book, and 
the, the proposal in there for the caste system and uh, as passed down to them by the gods. And I can't find any difference between what was written in the Bhagavad Gita and what Plato proposed. I've read Plato and yeah. uh, the further I got into yeah. it, I thought, oh, hang on, he's... This is almost exactly what I read in the Bhagavad Gita well, you know, 15 or 20 years before. You know, to be to be fair, he 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 wasn't looking it up on Google. You know, so no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think yeah. he I think he had pre-knowledge. I don't think it was his idea. Right, right. Uh at all. So so that gives me five. Yep, it does. So if, but if there's, you... there's, go ahead. There's, there's, there's others that, that I could put in there. Mao, mm -hmm. Mao Zedong. I, I think he'd be a fascinating character to to have dinner with. Uh, and an Australian outlaw called Ned Kelly. I have heard the name. I've heard the name. I don't know. I don't know a lot, know a lot was, about him, but. He was, he was a bush ranger, uh, which is a bad guy. Mm -hmm. uh, bank robber. He was a bank robber. Uh, he was a murderer. He killed. Uh, he killed the policeman in a shoot out at Stringybark Creek. And, uh, but he was also more. He was. He was. Uh, there's a. Uh, it, it's been put forward that he was actually a. He was Irish, of course the name Kelly and uh, it's been put forward that he was uh, a rebel and that he was trying to incite a rebellion and, and that robbing the banks was a part of the way to, to fund that rebellion. He, wore, he In his final gunfight, he was actually shot by an American, uh, a Pinkerton man. Uh, Kelly wore armour that was made from plowshares and uh, the Pinkerton man, the, Kelly had been in a gunfight for hours with the police, and his his the the uh, the armor that he wore is on display in a museum in Victoria, I think, and it's it's full of holes or dents, but the bullets weren't penetrating, and okay. both he and his gang there were there were four of them. Um, had a gunfight at oh god I can never remember the name of the place it was in central Victoria and uh, they had a big big gunfight there with 200 police and the four of them were all killed uh, no Kelly Kelly himself wasn't killed but he was shot in the knees by a Pinkerton man because he said his Kelly's armor didn't come down far enough to protect his lower legs. Well, it's you got to get the, him. Uh, you got to get him where you can get him. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and he was shot in the knees by the Pinkerton man, shot with a shotgun, and uh, they arrested him and put him on trial, and he was eventually hanged. But uh, it was it more or less put a stop to to Kelly's rebellion. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have I'd have Ned there just to find out exactly okay. what went on. Okay. And uh, let me, yeah, I've got a few more that I wanted to toss out at you here before we, uh, 
we wrap this up right now and, and, you know, we let you, you know, get going on your Thursday here since, you know, you, you've been up for most of the evening now uh, and into the morning. It's kind of like I am on the weekends watching footy uh, where I don't sleep much on the weekends at all. You know, and, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I always, I always know if I, if I send it, send you a message when the footy's on, there'll I'm be a room. For I'm probably, it's very, <laughs> unless it's, unless it's the, Let's see if it's the night games on like Saturday night. Uh, I might not be awake yep. because, you know, they start at like four o'clock in the morning. I may have gone to bed by then. Uh, so yep. do you have a, uh, do you have a prized possession that you have hung on to since you were a little kid? Have you got something that, that you got tucked away in a drawer that you've hung on to that you're, you're going to pass along to somebody down the road and you've got a large number of people to pass it to consider who you're going to pass it along to with the, the number of grandkids that you said you had. <laughs> yeah. 22. Wow. <laughs> 22. Um, I've got a bandsaw blade. Huh? <laughs> okay. And it's, in itself it has a history but it's it's a family history but it's also part of australian history um the murray river uh, that divides victoria from new south wales was not descended from its head to the sea until 1933 i think it was and it was uh it was descended by a, a small expedition of, uh, there was only four men and they had uh, two kayaks. Well, they called them kayaks, but they were really just a, a, a large double-ended boat that were propelled by paddles rather okay. than oars. Mm -hmm. And one of them sank within the first couple of days. They, had, they ran it onto some rocks and it sank. But the other kayak proceeded all the way down the Murray River and, and eventually out into the sea. The Murray River ends in an enormous lake called Lake Alexandrina. And the there's an opening to the sea there. Anyway, the, the kayak made it to the ocean. And that kayak was built by my grandfather. And the only the only part of it the only part of all of he he was a he was a shipwright, and uh, the only part of that expedition that remains is the bandsaw blade that my my grandfather used cut to cut the down. planks to build. Wow! It. No, it wow. was to cut it was to cut the planks. Okay. To to make the. The, the wood came to him already milled. Okay. But the, the planks had to be the planks had to be steamed and, and shaped. And an enormous oh, he built beautiful boats. Yeah. I, I can't describe the, the beauty of yeah. the boats that he built. But the only thing that remains of that uh, of that expedition is that bandsaw blade, because my grandfather hung it in his workshop. And he gave it to me when I was about nine years old and told me the story of the, the kayak. And uh, there's pictures of the kayak in the, the Border Morning Mail, which is the, the newspaper 
for Albury, the town of Albury, which straddles the border. Okay. Uh, Albury Wodonga straddles the border okay. across the Murray River. And they took photos of that, that kayak as it was leaving on the, on the journey. And that's the only, the only thing that remains now is that, that old newspaper article and the, the, the kayak and the bandsaw blade. So do you think that that blade should, and, and I'm not saying that this is what you're going to do, but is it something in, that, that a museum would want to display? Um, quite probably. And I think that's what I'll do with it when, it's, okay. uh, when, okay. when I go. Uh, the, band, the band store itself is in a museum. Along oh, with... Uh, so the saw is already in the museum. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah the saw is in the museum. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I've only got the blade. Okay, <laughs> but I think I'd like to re—I think I'd like to reunite it because I think I don't think that bandsaw has a blade in it. Hmm. That—that's well. It's, it's it's because you took it. your your grandfather took it. Yeah. 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 So it hung in his it hung in his workshop for years. Right. Right. Yeah. I've got. Uh, yeah. Kind of the the one thing that I have at my house is I have a a map that was drawn in 1830 of the before they became states of the states of the the territories of Michigan and Wisconsin before they became states and it has very detailed maps of Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio on it. So it's an almost 200 year old map that I've got hanging up in my in my oh, wow. front room. It's it's a it's a it's a beautiful map. It's one that uh you know, it had it has so much detail on it where they were where there were different trading posts and where different you know numbers of buffalo wow. herds have been spotted and that type of thing on it. It's it's one of my professors in college said that wow. it, it's it's the kind of map you could do like you could do your research on a graduate degree with this map. And I which I was not doing my graduate work in that field, wow. but uh it's kind of it's kind of a cool map to wow, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. My my grandparents found it in the attic of their yeah. house in Michigan. And it's it's been in you know since they found it. It, it was right. in their house. It got passed down to my dad, and then it got passed down to me. Then, so right, that's kind of kind of cool. You might give that to, you might pass that along to Dalton. Uh probably. Yeah, I I would imagine that you know one of one of my two kids are going to get it. Yes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a big thanks to Orville Gibson, who I was actually trading messages with on. Uh, the computer this morning as I was getting ready to record this uh, this intro and outro of this episode, uh, talking about the games from this round and uh, how we did on our tips. I think I did a little better on my tips than he did. Uh, of course, we both got the uh, the Geelong and Richmond games incorrect in our tips this weekend. If you have an idea for a show topic or if you know somebody that you think would be a great guest for the podcast, feel free to leave me a voicemail on the website. Shoot me a DM on Twitter at yank underscore on or send me an instant message on Facebook or send me an email at a yank on the footy at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Remember, you can find out again everything about the podcast at a yank on the footy.com. I hope that you'll consider leaving me a review either on my website or on Apple Podcasts. It allows me to see what I'm doing well, what I could do better. It allows me then to share those reviews out on my social media to tell other people who might be prospective listeners that, hey, you might want to go ahead and check out this show. 
So hopefully you'll consider taking a couple minutes and leaving me a review. Let me know what you uh, what you think. Remember, again, you can reach me at yankonthefooty at gmail.com, on Twitter at yank underscore on, Instagram and Facebook at yankonthefooty. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening. We are already closing in on the last, basically, third of the season. And there are still battles to be had in terms of who's going to be where on the, the ladder. We saw some significant changes this weekend. We saw some shifts that shifted back rather quickly as well. We'll get into those uh, in the live episode coming up here in a couple of days. But I want to thank you for listening again. And, uh, you know, we're all fans of this game that we love. And I hope you'll consider sharing the podcast with your friends and family. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, may your dribble kick never hit the post. I'll catch you later. This has been episode number 96 of A Yank on the Footy. Again, don't forget that you can reach me at yank underscore on on Twitter or to yankonthefooty at gmail.com. And you can, fu- you can also reach me at my website at yankonthefooty.com. Love to hear from you. And I hope you'll share the podcast with your friends and family. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is Craig Wessels. Goodbye. <laughs>